0: Hello. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genre Cast. Good Trash is brought to you by sadmenforlonelywomen.com because at some point somebody stopped loving you. The GTGC is also brought to you by listeners like Austin Lacari Austin, thank you for your recent donation and support. We greatly appreciate that. For more information on how you can become a Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash GTGC. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? Good Trash Genre Cast. <laughs> if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. You are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of. What makes
1: you think that? You know, I stumbled across the recording while I was cleaning him. He says he belongs to someone
2: called Obi-Wan Kenobi. I thought he might have meant Old Ben you know what he's talking about? Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where a bunch of people gather around a table, and we talk about the films you'll never discuss in the course of a film studies class. This week's film is a baseball story. It's a sports story about a young bat boy who eventually becomes a Batman <laughs> in
3: the big leagues. And we're so excited to be talking Batman. Which we should mention is going to be the inaugural episode of our You Don't Know Jack Part Two marathon, in which we discuss only the films of Jack Nicholson.
2: That was so much fun last time and so ridiculous, we had to do it again. And here we are doing just that again. Let's identify the disembodied voices speaking to you into your brain directly through your generic MP3 playing device. To my left, sir, identify yourself.
1: Hi, my name is Caleb Masters, and uh, you know what they say, you just can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs.
2: True, uh, you can't. It's impossible. I've tried. To my right, sir, if you would. My name
3: is Dalton Stewart, and you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts.
2: My name is Dustin Sells, and if you could do anything to hurt this podcast, I'd have handed you your lungs by now. But we're going to be talking all... This podcast needs an enema. That's right. (laughs) In the worst way. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) <laughs> Listen to the last episode. You'll find out. Uh moving right along. Uh we are gonna be talking Batman. We need to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show, it's an analysis show. And that means we are gonna do spoilerific spoilerages, and you're gonna find out just exactly what was the relationship between Batman and Robin. But we're not gonna do that until after Robin,
3: we... he was the uh the shortstop for the team, right? <laughs> Correct.
2: And uh there was a was a it was just it was a love that just couldn't last. It was a love that just was doomed to failure. start cross lovers, yeah. They really were. It really was too bad. But we're going to first give our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. Um, that's going to be preceded by a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Uh, and at this time, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir, go ahead
0: and give us that synopsis. The Dark Knight of Gotham City begins his war on crime with his first major enemy being the clownishly homicidal
2: Joker. There you go, dear listener. Now you know the synopsis of the Batman 1989 Tim Burton joint, and uh, we're very, very excited to be talking about it. Let's go ahead and give those quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. I go to you first. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you got to say?
3: All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, get this out of the way. I'm not uh, much of a Tim Burton fan. I I don't really care for him in general. Um, The Burton movies I like the most are the least Burton movies. Uh, I like Big Fish a lot. Um, That's actually probably my favorite Burton movie. I like Beetlejuice, which is aesthetically very Burton-y, but I don't feel like has most of his um, thematic uh, things that he really likes to lean on. Uh, I don't care for him. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. That being said, I haven't seen uh, you know the two films that are considered uh, among his best, uh, Ed-, Ed Wood and Edward Scissorhands, a lot of Edwards and Eds. Um, uh, I don't care for him. Uh, I think the man's 50 years old. He needs to grow up and stop listening to The Cure under a tree and get over his dad. Now, I know that comes across as harsh. Uh, as somebody who Obviously has... Mostly this comes across as wrong, but go on. Well, I, as somebody who has some you know, father issues, I, I can appreciate that being a, a theme worth talking about. Now, I say all that to say this. Batman is dripping with Tim Burton. This is not a Batman movie. Let's be very clear. This is far from a Batman film. It's a Tim Burton film that happens to have Batman in it. Much in the way that Dark Knight's a Christopher Nolan movie that happens to have Batman in it. Um, I just think Christopher Nolan's sensibilities uh, lend themselves to Batman a little bit better. I will say I think the art direction of this film is gorgeous. I mean, it's a beautiful film. Danny Elfman's score is fantastic. It looks like a Batman movie should look. It looks great. It captures, I think, uh, both the gothic and the camp. Um, of Batman, and I, the, the camp of Batman has gotten lost since Batman Begins, and I you know, I, I enjoy some of that. I really do. I like Batman Forever. I think it's an underrated film. Uh, don't care for Batman and Robin, but I do like Batman Forever. I think Schumacher gets a bad rap for that one. I, I think it's definitely better than Batman Returns, in my opinion.
1: Go watch the bank robbery scene. We'll have this conversation again later. I didn't say it was great. <laughs> I, I mean, there's some pretty, really, truly awful scenes in that movie, no. but hey, I agree. Better than Batman and Robin, yes, yes they're 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 wacky.
3: I mean, they're wacky. Yeah, Caleb. Uh, Schumacher's definitely embracing the camp of Batman. But he 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 keeps a lot of the aesthetic choices that that Burton made he gets a little bit more uh campy and pop uh I think it veers from art deco into what I would call pop deco. Um, but I like it. I I like the look of this film and I keep saying that because it's about all I like. I like Nicholson's performance. I like Keaton's performance. I don't really care for the story. I think it's kind of dumb. I think Burton just doesn't get Batman, which I'm, I'm normally a person who doesn't really care about changes uh, in an adaptation. They don't typically bother me. But when you are ad- adapting a pre-existing work, I think the, the only thing that you can do wrong is miss the point of the character. And I, I really don't think Burton, Burton gets what Batman's about. I think he gets aspects of what Batman is about, um, but he just misses the mark. He really does. I think he he sees the dead parents, and he knows that that's important. But I don't think he understands why it's important. Uh, and for me, it just it it falls flat. Um, it's not a particularly particularly entertaining film. This is just not an exciting film for me. Again, I like things about it. Nicholson is, <laughs> and you know this is you know you don't know Jack pardue so we got to talk about Nicholson. Nicholson is brilliant in this movie he's having a blast he's just playing a character he's he's still very clearly in his Nicholson persona but it lends itself so well to the Joker that he doesn't really even have to do much his makeup is great I think visually again I can't say enough nice things about this film but unfortunately for me that's about all it gets right Um, and again not just because it veers from the source material specifically in that Batman murders the shit out of a lot of people but anyway, I, I've rambled enough. I don't really care for it, guys, and I, I know that's not a popular opinion. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dolster, Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you say in terms of thumbs-up, thumbs-down
2: review?
1: Yeah, I don't like this movie very much either. I, I, I don't... Do you like Burton? No. Okay, well, there um, we go. It, it, you pretty much highlight almost exactly my feelings about Burton his aesthetic is, while interesting, and I respect it. The fact that we're still that it's, it, it just has. I don't think it's aged very well. Well, uh, I do think it, it is. Uh, I, I do think, though, if you were trying to make a Dracula movie in the form of Batman, I think this would have been great. Um, I, I, I hope Dustin is gonna is gonna follow up on this. I agree with that. There's times in this movie you can see the wires. Well, again, I don't. That doesn't bother me. I, well, I,
3: think what you're hitting at though is there's nothing wrong with his aesthetic. I, I think for me the problem is he applies it in places that it doesn't make sense. That aesthetic makes sense in Sleepy
1: Hollow. Yeah. I don't know if it makes
3: sense in a lot it, of other it, it times that he chooses it. I don't to think it. It's,
1: it super fits for Batman. And I'm glad you mentioned that you don't think he gets I think the character. I,
3: see, I think it fits for Batman. I do. I think visually he's got it locked.
1: The, the visuals in this movie are okay. I just don't think it's it's aged particularly well.
3: I would disagree with you on that.
1: Okay, that's fair. Uh, What I will say, though, is I'm I'm glad you mentioned that he did not understand the character, because I don't think he gets Bruce Wayne at all. I don't understand why this guy's Batman. I don't understand why it's important. Yes, you get the flashback scene that's great, but I don't feel the the angst and the pain where I should, which is adult Bruce Wayne should be really, you know... Which
3: you would think Burton would get. That's the thing that kind of baffles me a little bit is... You would I, I you, you would look at his filmography so, Sans, the two Batman movies he made and you would think this guy probably gets Bruce Wayne and I just don't think he does no,
1: I don't think he does I, the, the Bruce Wayne Michael Keaton is great doing what he's probably been directed to do uh, I just I think he, I, I I like him in this movie I I don't feel but I don't feel like he's a real guy I feel like and I guess that's kind of part of the point right Bruce Wayne is the act but I also feel like Batman is also an act so I'm not really sure which one who's who. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, I, I think that this, what this movie has hi- highlighted for me is that unlike a few exceptions, and I would argue Christopher Nolan's Batman movies, uh, it's, not, it's Zack Snyder's Watchmen, and even uh, Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable, those are timeless movies. I don't think – and I would I make, this, I make an argument that most of the superhero movies, uh, including all the Marvel stuff we're watching right now, uh, are products of their, of their time, and I think Tim Burton being one of the first ones to lead the charge is evidence that most superhero movies – really are a product of their time. I'd,
3: I'd say that's fair. Dustin, you have been biting your tongue nearly in half this entire time Caleb and I have been speaking. Tell us why we're wrong. Well, I'll begin with a quote um, of C.S. Lewis quoting
2: St. Paul. Um, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I reasoned as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things, Was included trying very hard to be a grown-up. And, uh, and and I think that's part of what I'm hearing right now. What's
3: wonderful about... I think about- Tim Burton's trying very hard to be a grown-up. No,
2: I think he's very much trying to connect to your teenage angst. I think he's very much trying to connect to part of our human experience, where we, we do feel alienated from our parents, even when we have our parents. And I do feel like he gets that, and that's the, maybe the only thing he gets about Batman. I would say that's fair. This is a very lousy Batman in terms of the canon and those sort of well, things.
3: Well, I, I, I think it is... If I divorce my feelings about my my passion for Batman, I could probably say it's a good movie. It's a well made film. I, a... I, I disagree with that. See, I think it's a well made film. No, I just don't like it.
2: Boring. But I mean, what we have here with this and Batman Returns are the only art film versions of Batman we're ever going to have, and and that's really what we're talking that's about. Fair. It's, it's it's about aesthetics at this point, and and uh, and that's what Burton's interested in is recreating the aesthetic. He's also very much interested in. Connecting uh, the aesthetics of of Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, uh, this you got to remember. The only cinematic, televisual Batman we'd had up at this point was Adam West in his satin hood and yeah, no I, and bam, pow, zap. There were some forty serials too, weren't there? Uh, there were, there okay. were. Yeah, I, that, that that did exist. Yes, but I mean, they're they're as far as <clears throat> like the popular Zeke guys and really endemic to pop culture. You, that's what we have. You
3: make a very good point, though. I, I that is something I. And again, I think visually he gets it. I, I think he gets the uh, the neo gothism. The Gotham, the the, the neo gothicism of Gotham. Yeah, uh, I think he gets that. Just, I think he yeah, nails it. it. Like I it kept thinking, like, thinking
2: the um, town is named Gotham City for yeah, a reason. I, I kept they're connecting to that.
3: I kept thinking about uh, Arkham, uh, a serious house on a serious earth. But Burton misses
2: the mark but so much it's still that I couldn't. Such a massive step forward from Adam West. Yes. I mean, you gotta you gotta imagine the the idea of a comic book movie at this point. We got like what the Roger Corman Fantastic Four? Does that even exist yet? I know that doesn't a, exist there's yet. The no. bad, there's the bad. There's bad Captain America movie there's that the, already there's
1: existed. The, there's the superhero movie, the Superman movies. The
2: Superman. Movies which are okay, but they're, they're still in this sort of realm of children and uh, sort of campy sort of stuff. And instead of films, you know, this is like Spike Jones at this point, it's about childhood, not about children. When, when we're doing something like Where the Wild Things Are, yeah, and, yeah. and, 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 okay. and I think that's part of the beauty of that. It, and it's interesting,
1: yeah, I, Dustin. I would never argue with you, this movie was crucial to the success and the evolution of Batman in pop culture. Absolutely.
2: What I can tell you is I was eight years old in 1989, and I knew Batman existed, and I knew there was a character. I'd seen Burt Ward and Adam West and... Burgess Meredith and Julie Newmar and all the actors and wonderful, wonderful players. Otto Preminger as Mr. Freeze, give me, oh my goodness, for days. Uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. But it was, it was just, it was there, it was fine, it was fun. And then I realized there is something awesome. And then one year later, Batman anime series drops on Fox, and
3: it's incredible. It is, an, it is astonishingly good.
2: And, and all of this happens, again, because of this film. This film is, is a major milestone. In just uh, cinematic depictions of comic book characters in general, and of uh, this is evolution to the darkness of Batman, to really sort of tell uh, stories about childhood and children, to go ahead and play with childishness. And I, I do like how campy and how scenery chewy, uh,
3: Mister Jack Nicholson. Oh, is. I love. I, like I said, I don't think it's a bad movie. I yeah. just Caleb thinks it's a bad movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't like it. And, and there are these hilarious little
2: bits, you know. You know, there's actually uh, writing on the card with dead flowers uh, to Vicky Vale, which says "Roses are red, violets are blue. These flowers are dead, and soon you'll be too." That's fantastic. <laughs> no. I
1: mean, okay, okay. The scene where the mi- he, he shows up as a mime, and the mimes are all just like doing the mime. Okay, that was kind of hilarious. That was awesome. The right.
3: the uh, improving the paintings uh, to the print song. Hilarious, fantastic! Oh, and Prince, and Prince, Prince, Prince—it's uh, Prince. delightful. Yes, no, I love that stuff. I think it's uh, there are things about this movie that I like a lot. But it's not a big, loud action movie. We don't have Hans Zimmer score, <laughs> you
2: know. Well, we, and I mean, I, it's
3: not that I, kind of movie. And I prefer—I I actually remember at one point, you know, when he's running up the bell tower to confront Joker, I was like, "We need more superhero movies where the climax is just two dudes." Like, yeah.
2: But what I love about this film is that you could still frame any shot and put it on your wall it does look yeah. great no i any shot and, and and i mean if you if you're doing if you're if you're that cinematic then you're doing something right. Combine Danny Elton score. The movie is wonderful. It's formative to my childhood. I mean, I just finished a course where um, Batman was the primary text um, at the university level. I mean, this, this movie changed my life in a lot of ways. And oh. so, yeah, I like it a lot. But moving right along, we're not here to do this, guys. We're here to get down to business. It's
0: the business. It's the business time.
1: Say it's time for business. It's business time.
2: Ooh, it's business. It's That's right, dear listener, and that business in question is analysis. I am so excited to be doing some analysis on the Batman with uh, my fine co-host, Mr. Caleb Masters, to my left, sir. I'm going to let you start us off. What analysis bring you?
1: Yeah, well, I, I want to talk a little bit about, kind of dovetailing off my review to some extent, uh, Batman. Is he a cultural icon or is he a cultural litmus test? What is he is is he really this kind of stoic forever endearing immortal figure or is he telling us a lot more about ourselves than he is about him? Uh, and that's kind of what I, the, the kind of the idea that was the, the kind of the thesis of what, what I'm thinking about. So uh, obviously, he's inter- the character's introduced in 1939, and then hits uh, moderate, uh, white mainstream success in the 1960s. Uh, which at that point, I think uh, we're still writing off that, ni- that kind of 1950s "Leave It to Beaver" camp style that we were used to seeing on TV a lot of. So of course, uh, Batman's well, and, uh, and, ha- and at that time in the comic
3: books, Batman was much campier.
1: I mean, we we're talking about the gold and silver
3: age of comics, yeah. uh, comics in general. They started getting more serious in the Silver Age of the 1970s, but in the 50s and 60s, superheroes were campy. I mean, they're still at the
2: period of time, and my, my parents say this, they, they were called funny books at this time still. So, yeah,
3: definitely much less taken seriously. Yeah, yeah. and, and Batman did kill the shit out of people in the 40s. Oh, yeah. That, that,
1: the, the no kill rule didn't come until much later. Yeah, no. Uh, actually, that, that, correct. The uh, kill rule did not come until much later. Now, it really wasn't the Batman, the, really the beginning of the Batman that we know today. Is Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, which is really what brought him into this kind of dark, uh, punk 80s action hero type vibe. And it. And and we, we're talk- and I, I think that is probably one of the most damaging things that ever happened to Batman. Yes. As somebody who doesn't care for Frank Miller a whole lot either. Well, I mean, it's a double-edged sword because had we not gotten that, we wouldn't have got – because that really was what brought him back into, ooh, this guy, we can take him seriously because – No, it, it's an important – it's very right. important. Yeah. And, and here's why this is important. Uh, and I think this is – what, what I want to point out with, with talking about how fascist he is at the time, this is in the late uh, – sorry, 1985, 18, 1986. He is the epitome of 1980s action star. We will fight for justice. We will kill the bad guys. We will take the day. And I don't, really ki- give, I don't give a shit who cares because I'm Batman. And that was kind of where that idea came around, and I think that is a huge reflection of uh, America, particularly in Americana, in the 1980s uh, about how we felt about justice, right? Because uh, I mean, there are certain themes with the Batman character that run true throughout his entire run. He fights for justice. Uh, he's dark. Uh, he's mysterious. He works outside the law. Um, but uh, now, obviously, uh, was as you, we both kind of uh, criticized the movie. Uh, Tim Burton uh, drew heavily from uh, the Tim Burton drew heavily from. Dark Knight Returns and thus killing lots of people and still kind of had this kind of weird... He mixed that kind of punk action star fascist with his own kind of sor- sort of like gothic... <laughs> punk and fascist are not normally two words that go together. But you know they're right, though. Am
3: I right? Neo-Nazis. Neo-Nazis, yeah. Yeah, it does. Well, skinheads, yeah. It's like, yeah. The, you know, we the... Rip, I mean, he, he doesn't have... But he's, like, he's really big, blocky. He's, he's a ripped dude. It's, and it's this, yeah, this hyper-macho uh, masculinity that sometimes goes hand-in-hand with the punk aesthetic and was, you know, I think you're right. It embraces the conservative right, the, the right wing conservatism of the 1980s and also uh, that kind of punk rock aesthetic. Right.
1: And uh, also keep in confusingly. mind. Confusingly. Very confusingly. Now, keep in mind, this is also the same time uh, Reagan's in office at this yes. point in time. So, something else to take into consideration. Now, we see, uh, again, in the 1980s, it swings back with the Schumacher series. The 90s is kind of a question mark in my analysis because we also had Batman the animated series at the same time, which was a totally different. Totally different animal. Don't hate
3: Batman forever.
1: Well, um, I, I do think the only, the only kind of tie I can draw in the 90s was that it was almost a step backwards for the, the kind of uh, the, the maturity of uh, the acceptance as, of Batman as a literary figure in the 90s. Because uh, in both the, even though Batman the Animated Series, man, that is, an, that is a show for everyone, including adults, definitely adults. Um, it, it was cater- it was a- the, the target demographic was for children, mm-hmm. as was Schulmacher's movies, definitely aiming towards the children. Now, the, I, I think the next milestone, uh, kind of the next milestone far kind of as far as my analysis is concerned, um, where we're looking at the the cultural representation of Batman, actually comes in the late '90s, where we get the sequel to Batman, the animated series Batman Beyond. Uh, where We're talking about where we're afraid of the millennium. We're not sure what the features are going to look like, uh, but we're going to throw Batman out there in the late '90s. And uh, the future of, of Batman Beyond. Um, things they're worried about. Things Batman's fighting: the environment, capitalist, uh, cap, uh, cap, dirty pet capitalist, corruption. Things that Batman in the 80s didn't really care about because he was the capitalist corrupt pig who didn't care about the environment. But now he's, it, it swung backwards in the well, 90s. Well, he was a
2: rich person beating up poor people.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's telling us a lot about the, the consciousness of society at that point in time. What are we worried about in the 90s? We're worried about we're, – we're getting into socioeconomics. We're starting to see the writing on the wall. Environment was a huge, huge thing in the late well, the, 90s. Yeah, his, before – Captain his, his, Planet, y'all. Captain Planet. Captain well, Planet.
3: His, his Joker is
1: uh, a walking, uh, irradiated zombie guy. Yeah. No, no, it's a fact. All of his villains, even Mister Freeze, who they brought back in that series, was all about uh, trying to uh, re- revert to the Ice Age in fear of uh, the toxic, uh, the toxic pollution. But I think what's important about it is this is telling you what, what is the, what is, the, what is the cultural mindset? Mm-hmm. What are we thinking about in the '90s? And notice, there's a huge change. Uh, and Batman, and Batman Beyond actually got hit by a couple of these things. Two things happened. One in the late '90s, uh, most notably Columbine. Where that show got its balls cut off in areas because they had to go back and re-edit a bunch of episodes following Columbine, mm-hmm. um, and that was where you it was saw a high school
3: student beating people up.
1: Yes, exactly. No guns. Guns were cut out, and, that's, and then everything got really hypersensitive in the late '90s. But more importantly, um, was 9/11, uh, which happened, and that was actually at the very tail end of the the Batman Beyond run. Uh, now, and then Terry McGinnis goes away. That idea drops away. The idea of passing Batman on to the next generation to fight kind of the more millennial, uh, the, or the, the issues of millennium. That goes away. Well, uh, you, millennial, yeah.
3: The word wasn't in usage yet at the time, but that's what it was. No,
1: absolutely. And I think that the issues we were wrestling back then are still that now. But I, what I, I, I want to get to is Christopher Nolan's Batman, which is a very... The 9-11 Very Batman. Post-9-11 Batman. And, and it's kind of weird because, uh, I mean, me and Dustin have had, I'm sure all of us with Dustin have had extensive conversations about the fascism of, of the Dark Knight in particular of all the movies. Well, it, we, it's we, come up. This is a Batman where we are terrified of terrorists. We are terrified of, I mean, the Joker's a terrorist. The Joker is a terrorist. He's definitely correct. a terrorist. And then what's, and why, it, 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 why the Joker was such a perfect villain for that movie, he is both a product of classic Batman who's always been a terrorist, but he they wrote him to be that fear the thing that we were afraid of in the you know post 9/11 era I mean, terrorism
3: stopped becoming an abstract and started becoming right. a concrete idea a concrete
1: idea that we actually had to fear he had no rhyme no reason he just wanted to cause chaos uh, so anyway uh, this is important though because in those, in that and in that in that in the, in the dark knight they make the the, the movies are about turning over uh, where we're sacrificing our own freedoms so because we trust this guy to yeah. to protect us i mean the dark knight is fundamentally about the patriot act yeah no yeah. no the dark knight particularly uh, of the tri- the trilogy is definitely post 9-11 Batman but of course you've got all the things like the, the surveillance you've got all the, the cool gadgets and all the, all the new government technology they've, they've developed in the early 2000s that are key um, but uh, again this is a product of 9-11 uh, the, the fears that we are wrestling with uh, as a nation in America worldwide I can't speak to worldwide as much but I know if you go back and you look Batman has evolved he's changed sometimes he's campy sometimes he's he's, he's a teen punk now there's always these ideas again truth or sorry justice, uh, fighting outside the law. These themes remain true. But Batman, he had, he's changed. Uh, and he's con- he continue, continues to change. And apparently, right now, we really want to beat the shit out of some gods because he's about to go take on Superman in the next movie. So, I, I mean, I guess i guess say all this to say is that, Bat, you know, superheroes, and Batman in particular, because of his popularity, tell, is, is, is actually telling us a lot. These movies, the cartoons, is telling us, they are telling us a lot more about ourselves than they are about the actual character. Absolutely, absolutely. And I I think that lens of reflection happens throughout um, the
2: entire run of Batman. So, well done. I appreciate that very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart,
3: what analysis have you brought? I want to talk about something that Tim Burton gets right, and that's the place that trauma has in Batman lore. Um, Batman has the best villains, let's be clear. Better than any other superhero can. He's got the best villains. That's right. Go back to preschool, Spider-Man. Go on. Because all of his villains are traumatized individuals much like Batman. And that's, I think, what makes his, his rogues gallery so interesting is they are all reflections of Bruce Wayne, of this broken man. And I think that is the one thing that Burton gets very right. Uh, he plays the truth about Batman very close to the chest. Um, I wish I could go back to 1989 and find out just how common knowledge Batman's origin was because I honestly don't know. Watching it now, I mean, I've known my entire life why Bruce Wayne became Batman. My whole life, as far back as I can remember, um, but they play it very close to the chest in in Batman. And uh, why? While I think it is a narrative contrivance uh, for Batman and the Joker to be responsible for each other, uh, I think it works in '89 because we hadn't done it yet. Now it's kind of become cliche and hack, uh, and honestly, really obnoxious when the hero and the villain are responsible for each other. But I I, I, th- I love. The way that Burton makes them responsible for each other, they both inflict trauma upon one another, and that trauma informs their identity. Without uh, Jack Napier, there is no Batman, and without Batman, there is no Joker. Um, you know, you made me, and I, I think that is really key. And again, I think it is one of the few things that I unequivocally think Burton gets right: is that Bruce Wayne, Batman, are, is a character that is fundamentally rooted in trauma. Now, while I think no one, what I think no one gets better, Caleb. We talked a lot about, honestly, the things that I think are problems in Batman's Nolan series. I think what he gets right is that Batman has taken it upon himself to be responsible for life and death in Gotham City. He is doesn't want anybody to die anymore. Um, that's one of my favorite things. Uh, one of my favorite ways to portray Batman is somebody who is kind of psychologically arrested, who has is really stuck in an eight-year-old's thinking of mortality and an eight-year-old's thinking of right and wrong. Batman doesn't want to kill anybody, even though killing the Joker uh, would unquestionably save thousands of lives. Joker is always going to get out of Arkham Asylum and always going to kill a couple hundred people before he goes back. Always. And if Batman would just snap his neck, problem solved. But Bruce Wayne has an arrested... Eight-year-old's understanding of good and evil, of mortality.
1: And he wouldn't be Batman anymore.
3: Exactly. I I've, I like that he doesn't. I think it's more interesting that he doesn't. And I think that's something that no one gets right. Is It is about personal sacrifice. It's about carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders even though no one fucking asks you to do it. Because you feel like it's the right thing to do. Because you feel like you're the only one that can do it. What Burton does that I also think is interesting, though, is this nigh-homicidal Batman. Yeah. This Batman who is still arrested, who is still trapped in this eight-year-old mindset, but instead he's taken it the other way. It is not. A, it is about vengeance. It is about, I am vengeance, I am the night.
2: The opening scene of this film always makes me insane because we have this mugging, which is a mirror of... It, it's,
3: you, I, I was so sure... I hadn't seen this movie in probably 10, 15 years. I was so sure... It was Batman's origin story when the film started.
2: But what happens is he lets the mugging happen only to confront them on the rooftop so that they'll tell all their friends about me. M-
3: Michael Keaton's a terrible Batman. And I don't mean his performance. It's a good performance. I mean... That Batman is That not Batman's a a, the shittiest Batman.
1: It's really confused. Honestly, he's a very confused Batman. I'm, not, I'm never yeah. quite sure he what doesn't He doesn't really him.
3: know he, what he wants. And I think that's something no one gets right is that it is about the mission. It's about being the symbol for the people of Gotham. Even though no one asked him to. Uh, and... As Alfred frequently reminds him, you don't need to be doing this. It is about, I don't want anyone else to ever experience what I experienced because it damaged me so horribly.
1: I think that's what sets Nolan's Batman apart from Burton's is he Mm -hmm. actually understands the character of Bruce Wayne and or Batman. But I think...
3: Burton understands the psychology of trauma very well. I think that is one thing he gets right is this damaging event as a child will have repercussions on your life, on your personality, on how you relate to other people. Bruce Wayne can't let Vicki Vale in even though he wants to. The, the Nolan Batman doesn't really want to let anybody in. The Bruce Wayne or the, the Tim Burton Batman is more of a Bruce Wayne. He does want to let people in. Uh, I, I find more interesting the, the division of Batman, Bruce Wayne is the mask, Batman's the real person. Batman's the mm-hmm. eight-year-old who's a master of kung fu and detective work. Um, with, with Burton, I think Bruce Wayne is the real guy. I I, I think Batman is a mask. With Nolan, uh, I don't really ever buy Christian Bale as, you know, Bruce Wayne's a real person, Batman's a real I think. No one's Batman. Christian Bale's Batman is the guy that's sitting alone talking to Alfred. Who he is in public is a mask, and who he is as Batman is a mask. They're just different masks. For Burton, I think it's all Bruce Wayne, and it's all Bruce Wayne. His inability—he he wants to get nuts. Let's get nuts.
1: <laughs> that scene was pretty hysterical, by the way. It's it's great. Yeah, uh, but I,
3: that is the one thing for me that works. That's his really. most Beetlejuice moment. Absolutely, absolutely. For me, though, that that is the thing that Burton does very much get right is the the impact of this trauma uh jack napier is a a, a psycho uh you know he's a thug but he he was not a you know a full-blown maniac until he becomes the joker uh and and i think that is something that that burton understands uh, is the importance of trauma in the batman mythos uh and and how events that are out of your control that negatively impact you can forever shape your worldview for good and ill
2: Excellent. Uh, absolutely. And I, I do think there's, there's much, much scholarship on the nature of trauma, and uh, I just I turn the dear listeners' attention to EBSCO Host and JSTOR mm-hmm. and other sort of academic research. Um, yeah. Engines to, to, to find more information about exactly the things adults talk about. And there is fascinating, fascinating stuff uh, there to be found. Also, there's a great essay in Riddle Me This Batman, a collection of essays uh, about uh, Batman uh, from McFarland Press. Um, moving on uh, to my analysis, I, I want to talk a little bit about this film in terms, uh, more, of a, more of a meta-analysis, about cinema itself. Uh, we have to do a little history, kids. Um, home video viewing. What? Is what I want to talk about right now.
1: What's what's that, Dustin? Home video. Is that like streaming?
2: It's it's like the only way people watch movies anymore.
1: Oh, like the Redbox or something? So it's like streaming.
2: Streaming, and Redbox, and DVDs, (laughs) and Blu-rays, and all those sorts of things. Now, we have to remember, cinema itself was an event you went to. Mm-hmm. for the most part. It was always an event. The reason why blockbusters existed, the reason why blockbusters were ever created in the first place because Star Wars was not coming to your house ever. And uh, there was going to eventually be a TV run, but that was going to be edited and it was going to be a long time coming. And it
3: was an, ev- it was an event not to be missed. Correct. Because Betamax did not exist yet. No, it did not. And it,
2: Betamax... Quickly followed thereafter by VHS. Now, the way this worked, and I remember this. I remember renting the Care Bears movie. Yes, I was small, and I still love the Care Bears.
1: Were you just missing the Ewoks from Return of the Jedi, or...? um, I'm going to strangle you
2: with your microphone cord, is what I'm going to do right now. Uh, No, I was not. Ewoks. Jeez Louise. Um... But I remember renting the box uh, with my dad. I was I stayed a weekend with my dad, and uh, we rented the thing and the movie. And I think it was like $25, 30 bucks mm-hmm. for the weekend. We got it on a Friday. We had to take it back on Sunday. I watched Care Bears like eight times. They
3: thirty dollars. Yeah, because
2: you had to rent the VCR. That's right. Because people okay. didn't own them. That's Cause, right. cause Remember,
3: VCRs were like
2: three or four hundred dollars. But that's the way it was. And if you were to lose a Betamax tape or a VHS tape, the uh, the cost to replace it was hundred and fifty dollars plus. They were massively expensive. Uh, The VCRs themselves, also massively expensive. And uh, home viewing was a thing that sort of happened, but it was a luxury. It was beginning to be a thing, especially on university campuses as film studies was uh, continuing to grow as a discipline. There was a great explosion of it in the 70s, moving on into the 80s. And so uh, universities were purchasing these things, and sometimes even purchasing libraries of VHS tapes. And so you could find some of these things in in places like that. But for the most part, it was very, very difficult to get a hold of these sorts of tapes. And uh, so home viewing was not a thing. 1989... Uh, late 89, early 1990, Batman gets released on VHS, and it is the first VHS film to be priced for consumer pricing at $20. Really? really? Most everyone on the planet who was there at the adaptation of the technology, who had bought a VCR by this point to have a, their own to rent because it was cheaper to own one and just rent, rent the tapes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, the first movie that anyone bought, the first movie I ever owned was Batman.
3: I know, I remember growing up, that was one of the VHS, that's the VHS I have, like one of the clearest memories of being the first VHSs we had was Batman, 89 Batman.
2: Yeah, and that's because it's the... Along with Hook, probably. It's the first consumer-priced VHS tape ever. Wow. Ever. I am blown right there. Dropping some knowledge on us, Gramps. And, And so this particular film begins... What some have termed the death of cinema, some have termed the transformation of cinema, some have termed uh, just another technological advancement in cinema, and it really raises some important questions because if we 're talking about well we, we we say this is a film podcast uh, which is uh, many of the things that we look at because they do have a little bit of age on them were shot on film but more and more often they are not shot on film they're shot on digital photography so there's no longer that's a video podcast <laughs> it, it's a video I mean yeah but what are yeah, you going to yeah, say yeah. at that point right I mean we, yeah. we still use the term film but it almost needs to be in scare quotes now yeah and we're also talking about an experience that was always communal that was always corporate that was always social in which you went you got clothes on you had to put on pants and uh, go someplace what? Fucking nightmare world you're describing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, pay for a ticket, buy popcorn, and watch a movie. This is, this is the thing that began to change, and Batman... Is part of what began to change this, and as you know, as time has gone by, uh, the technologies have changed. We had Laserdiscs for a minute, we had DVDs, we're in the Blu-ray period now. We have video on demand and streaming, and all these sort of other services that are going on. And, and, and it begins. Batman is the moment that raises the question: What actually is cinema? Is it only ninety-minute feature-length uh, motion picture uh, fiction narrative? Is, is that what makes it cinema? Is the experience the thing that makes it cinema? I mean, my first experience with Batman was in a cinema. I went to a theater and saw it four times because it was amazing. Uh, and, I, and I loved it so much. And I was nine or eight going on nine. And so it was fantastic for me. But that being said, what are we actually even looking at any longer? This film, as I use the term in scare quotes again, this is a moment that really helps us really begin to raise a question what are we even doing now? I mean are we is this still cinema does this question even matter? I guess I want to pose that question to the table at this point.
3: Who gives a shit honestly um, I think
1: uh,
3: f- film again in, in large air quotes um, I, I, I think it transcends the viewing experience while I definitely prefer. Seeing a, a motion picture in the cinema, I prefer seeing it in that communal experience. I like hearing the old lady ruffle in her purse for a cough drop. Like I, I, I love that shit. I, I relish that communal experience. Who gives a shit? A movie's a movie. Um, and while I think watching a, a movie in a theater will always be ideal, I don't think you're. You know, at the end of the day, I prefer being able to. You know, watch Blue Ruin, which is a f- movie, you know, without streaming, I never would have got to see, probably.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with Dalton's uh, sentiment there. I, I think what we now have is we have more options for which to consume cinema. Uh, now, everyone, that's why you have home theater experiences. It's, it's, it's the, I, I think there is something There's something mad, truly magical that I don't think you can recapture. Uh, on DVD in your living room. I don't care if you have a 75-inch TV or a freaking projector screen. There is something something magical
3: about... the theater in general but like even the 35 millimeter celluloid yes, projected yes. on a screen. Uh,
1: but at the same time I, I would I would not say that you know home video has wrecked or deterred cinema. I think it's just made it more accessible to the masses. It's
3: it's democratized not only filmmaking but also film viewing. Absolutely. And, be-
1: and because we've democratized film viewing it's in, it's inspired entire generations of of uh, filmmakers and film 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 ma- filmmakers, and film, uh, film goers to, to watch not, more movies. We
3: would not have this podcast if it wasn't for
2: streaming. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I don't mean, know if I'd love We movies. had a if, Netflix rule when we began this thing.
1: Exactly. I, you know, if, if, if we didn't have home video, I can't tell you I'd have liked the movies as much as I did because that's just what I did. I sat and watched movies that were rented on a weekend. I looked forward to every single weekend because I didn't have a lot of money growing up. We didn't get to go to the theater because it was half an hour away. I went to the video store I rented a lot of movies, and that's how I got into movies. Oh, yeah. me, me too. Now I wouldn't that, have been a Star Wars kid if it wasn't for VHS. Here's my follow-up
2: question: Then you know, one of the things that cinema has always tried to do, uh, as technology has advanced and changed, uh, with the advent of television, is to distinguish itself from television. And it seems to me that that uh, distinction is becoming less and less clear. Are we just watching TV now? Is it is it collapsed into Basically, just motion picture media, whether it's in a ninety-minute narrative form or a thirteen-episode form, see, are, they, are they all basically the same thing now? A lot
3: of those uh, uh,
1: Netflix shows matter.
3: play like a thirteen-hour movie.
1: They do. Um, I think that the way that TV is structured, uh, telev- television shows in particular, uh, to be clear, are structured more like chapters of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, when you're watching a two-hour, two to three-hour movie, you're watching one story. When you watch two to three hours of TV, you're watching two to three. Hour, you're watching two to three chapters of a book. Uh, ten ten episodes of Game of Thrones. That's not. I mean, yes, it is equivalent to reading to a ten-hour movie, per se. I would say it's more of a book though. You're watching ten episodes, yeah, of, uh, uh, of a of a TV show, or you're reading ten chapters of a book that that complete one
3: book. I you know I I think both can exist, Dustin. Uh, Caleb, you you spoke to the idea of episodes of television as chapters in a book. Uh, the Departed and The Wire are both fantastic. The Departed is a tense, terse. Masterfully directed, two-hour suspense film about cops and criminals. The Wire is a 100-plus hour uh, moving novel about cops and criminals. There, there is more room for theme, for character development, but that doesn't mean one is inherently better than the other. It just means they are different. And I, I think we are, as a media-consuming culture, better for the stories that have that room to breathe, but that doesn't mean... That we shouldn't still love those tighter, more um, narrowly scripted, more open and shut things, uh, films.
2: Well, I, I don't know. I mean, to put my cards on the table, I like the world we're living in a lot, mm-hmm. um, and I, I care very deeply about cinema and uh, whatever that thing is, if it is a thing at all. But um, I pose a question to you, dear listener, that Action News uh, posed uh, with their um, heavily unmake up and unstyled so hair and faces That's to hysterical. say, Batman friend or foe to cinema. Did this moment, when this film came out on VHS, did it ruin cinema? Did it change it in a negative way, in a positive way? I don't. I mean, the jury's still out, and I, I think that just as a artifact of cinema, not necessarily a textual reading, it provides some interesting questions and some things that are worth you know having a conversation about. So we'd like to hear what you have to say about all of that. We'll give you an opportunity to do that here in just a little bit with social media, but we must now render a verdict. We must drop the gavel on the Batman and decide shelf or trash and then select our else's or instead. Mr. Dalton Stewart, shelf, trash, else, or instead.
3: This is one of those rare occasions where I think a film is shelfable even though I don't really care for it and I don't plan on revisiting it again for a very, very long time. But uh, as we have... Even Caleb, who doesn't who doesn't think it's a good film, I who think it's a an okay movie that I don't care for, and Dustin who thinks it's a good film that he likes. I think we can all agree that it is an important film, uh, both as Dustin has pointed out in the history of how we watch movies, but also uh, as Dustin and Caleb both touched on how it's important in the genre of superhero films and comic books as something more than just something that you buy at a drugstore for children. Um, so I think it's important. I really do. I think it's a historical uh, artifact. I think it is something that we needs to be visited occasionally uh, for its cultural uh, influence. Um, so it is shelfable, although I don't particularly care for it. I would actually else recommend you watch... And I would rather instead recommend you watch um, The Dark Knight, which I think is a basically perfect uh, action thriller. It's got some really fucking tenured dialogue. Um, most of the characters uh, apart from Bruce Wayne aren't really fully fleshed out the Joker's a hell of a lot of fun but he's not really a fleshed out character Uh, Rachel Dawes isn't a fleshed out character Alfred Pennyworth is not a fleshed out character it's really just Bruce Wayne's the only one that really gets any kind of character development to speak of even Gordon um, I think he probably is the closest to having much of an arc or uh, something recognizably something resembling a human personality to be honest but it is an exceptionally well crafted uh, thriller um i 'm not the first one to point this out, but it's you know it, it's it 's not a superhero movie it 's uh it's it 's the French connection with capes i it's mean heat it's yeah or heat with capes yeah I, although i don 't love heat but I, I like heat uh i think it's it's better it's just better, and I like it more so I think you should watch that instead. I think you should check out grant Morrison's Arkham a Serious House on a Serious Earth because it does also capture this very non-action-y Batman that isn't... I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think Batman's interesting without the action, but, you know, just not, not in the film, probably. Uh, not, not for me. G- give me the comic book. Uh, I'd rather read that. Um, and, you know, I, I would check out Burton's uh, Big Fish, and I, I would uh, check out Burton's um, Beetlejuice, which has got that same aesthetic that Batman has, but I like it a whole hell of a lot more. Um, at the end of the day, if, if, if I'm forced to rate this movie, I, I would give it... Um, Three very phallic revolvers stuffed down Jack Nicholson's pants out of a possible
1: twelve.
3: No, let's go. Let's go, 10.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton sir and Mr. Caleb Masters. What do you say, shovel trash, else or instead?
1: Yeah. So Dalton, I really respect what you have to say, and I, I really do respect uh, Dustin's op- op- opinion. I do think this is a very important movie for both Batman. For, for I mean, now you know, hearing Dalton, uh, hearing Dustin's analysis, you know, for for home video. Uh, so it's one of those uh, kind of cultural touchstones that I think is very, very important. I still – I can't shelf it. I don't care to own this on my shelf. There's a lot of other superhero mo- – there's so many other superhero movies out there I think that are better, uh, that that do Batman better, quite frankly, uh, and, and that are worth shelving over this. Is it important movie? Yes. It, it has an infinite amount of respect. I don't think this is garbage by any means. Am I putting it in the trash? Yeah, only because I don't think it needs to be on my shelf because I can also probably at any given time stream this movie somewhere. That's fair. Uh, now, else, go watch my probably my favorite Batman movie, uh, which is actually Batman: The Mask of the Phantasm, because that is a bitchin' movie. That movie nice is, is one of the most yeah. underrated superhero movies of all time, hands down. It's a Batman origin story, but does it better than Batman Begins, which is also an excellent movie, but it does it better and also creeps in on the Joker's uh, the Joker's origins without giving too much away. Uh, and, and and for that matter, just go watch Batman the animated series. Uh, that we wouldn't have that series without without Batman, mm-hmm. Nick, Tim Burton's Batman, and man that. That show gets so much right; it still holds up to. I watched. Ep- I've watched it's episodes. Dark, dude, it's super dark. I'm um, also throwing this out there. For some reason, I don't know why, I was watching this movie the whole time. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, it was another kind of like cultural iconic movie that I think upholds up way the heck better than this Watchmen. I really like that movie a lot. A lot of people I think it's hate, underrated. I, a lot of people really hate that movie. I talk to them on a regular basis. I think this it's a it's a it's a, it's a great movie with some problems for sure, but I think it kind of capture it captures. What made the 80s interesting far more than the Dark Knight Returns ever did. So I'm going to give it 15 bottles of Smilex out of a possible 27.
2: Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. I am going to say Shelf. It was on the first shelf I ever had. It has been shelved since and will be shelved again. Uh, There are Blu-rays, I believe, and I have not gotten one of them yet, but oh yes, I will get them because I love Batman. Um, What I'll tell you right now is uh, what else you should watch is the 1926 The Bat, uh, one of the major inspirations of the Batman character. It's one of those big haunted house sort of uh, mystery stories. It's fun, it's silly, it's silent, and And there is much of the bat iconography that Bob Kane and Bill Finger ended up picking up to use. I got a chance to screen that at the Southwest PCA uh, two or three years ago now. And uh, With Arthur, and it was a very, very good time uh, to be had there watching that. Also, read The Killing Joke. I mean, read The Killing Joke, because it's the major inspiration um, comically for this. This is sort of a Batman Begins story, uh, Batman Year One type story, but it's not the same as that at all. It is much more in common with Killing Joke. So uh, be sure you check that out. So let's move on, though. Whoa, 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 whoa.
0: (laughs) I gotta interrupt. You all fail for not mentioning Birdman. Oh, oh shit! what? Which is essentially the biopic Producer, that follows.
1: Producers <laughs> at it. Thank you, wow, Arthur. Thank you. Yeah, well done. We deserve a slap in the face for that Birdman absolute must see after You're, watching after that's a companion piece. Immediately after watching Batman, you watch yeah, Birdman. You could not be moving. Although right.
2: I don't love Birdman either. What moving on is what we shall do. Uh, and we're gonna move on to social media in which you can continue the conversation with us and discuss and dissect our opinions. And we'd love to hear more about all of that. And I'm going to go to the producer today, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Do you know anything about social media means by which the conversation could be held?
0: Oh, certainly. And we have quite a bit of feedback coming in this week, so that's awesome. Uh, first over you can find us over on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. Uh, in regards to our favorite fictional universes game, uh, Brigham Cole chimed in saying uh, he would like to visit the lived-in world of Cowboy Bebop. Uh, gotta love those space cowboys. Uh, <clears throat> he would also like to check out the messed up fictional reality in Garth Enos's, uh, uh Preacher.
3: Uh,
0: he, wow. w- he would like to also visit Pokemon, uh, as I <laughs> stated that week. Um, and then he says he would love to experience uh, the short life of a hunter in the supernatural universe, which would be fun. It would be. Uh, I think that would be a f- uh, fun little trip. And then in regards to our mystery films game, uh, our favorite mystery movies from the Gone Girl episode, uh, Randall Bayes says, Memento which Ice I think crack. got some love that day. Uh, Shelby Parks uh, mentions Insomnia, which I also enjoy. And it's a good movie. Uh, another Nolan film, another Nolan mystery. Uh, he mentions Secret Window, and he says he knows it's not a movie, uh, but The Leftovers has him captivated every week. Yes. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out. It's yes. the best show on TV right yes.
3: now. Yes! I wouldn't go that far, but I like it a whole hell of a lot. I think Fargo is probably the best show on TV currently, as in like this, this month.
0: Se- this season. Um. So Shelby, you got you got some approval from around the table, and Dalton's not pissing down your throat this week. So no, not that. this
3: week. I fucking love. I do love the leftovers a lot, Shelby. Uh,
0: then Eric Kings uh, mentions Murder by Death. He says it's more of a satire. That's than a, a fun movie. Uh, but it's still great. And then Austin Davis uh, mentions Identity, starring John Cusack and Ray Liotta. Uh, it's a, a suspense thriller mystery, and it's so good. It is a fun movie. I hate the ending, but. It is a good movie. I haven't caught that one. Um, I also
1: hate the ending, Arthur.
0: I, anyway, that's another episode. It's a fun
1: mystery, okay, guys? That's beside the point.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. It is a really fun movie. I think it's a really fun thriller. Um, but uh, we also... Uh, that's Facebook. You can find us on Facebook. You can also email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Did we get email? And we have a long-form email uh, nice. aimed at Dustin, I believe. Uh-oh. So uh, let's let get it. <laughs> and All I, I guess this is a friend of Alex's that she's known uh, from Robert's story, emailing us in response to episode 150 Star Wars. Um and he quotes the movie a few times in here, so we'll 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 quote this as well. quote. Stabilize your rear deflectors. Watch for enemy fighters. End quote. A disclaimer: I have loved Star Wars for my entire life. Same. I have read the books, played the games, and registered an account on Wikipedia. Agreed. Uh, so you have a Wikipedia account? Yeah, I
3: do. Do you really? Oh yeah. I <laughs> oh I shit! Even stars. I don't have. It, it takes it,
1: looks, it takes ten seconds to sign up, guys. Even At I least. don't have a
3: Wikipedia. I mean, on Wikipedia, Wikipedia is. It's it's Wikipedia is the Star, Star Wars wiki. wiki. Yeah. I'm on there a lot, but I don't have an account. You yeah. yeah, guys call can. yourself fans. What's wrong with uh, you? Anyway, all right, all right, go on, go on, go on. Company
0: line. Um, so my argument may be somewhat biased. With that of the way, with that out of the way. Quote, I find your lack of faith disturbing Ooh, damn (laughs) I've been thinking about the last episode of GTGC And just, this is two episodes ago Just for producing purposes uh, Episode 150 And what I keep remembering from that episode is uh, Star Wars getting blamed for dumbing down our movies Blaming a particular item, idea, or event For lowering intellectual expectations Is an ancient complaint repeated by Isaac Asimov Albert Einstein And even Euripides Euripides I say what I want You do Uh, Well, it's not bad company. Go on. The picture of (laughs) Dory. He did put you in good company. Uh, The picture of Dorian Gray has a good line that better encapsulates what, I believe, happened. Whenever a man does a thoroughly stupid thing, it is always from the noblest motives. Uh, George Lucas has a grand vision that would never have worked so well on its own, but a team of good editors and special effects artists took a half-baked Flash Gordon reboot and birthed a grand tale that the American audiences could ingest more easily than The Odyssey. It may not have been on the same level as Schindler's List, but I think Star Wars started a precedent for creating bigger, more powerful films for younger audiences than what was previously being made and some of those films were even good 1983 the outsiders 84 ghostbusters and 16 candles 86 little shop of Horrors; 87 the lost boys and three men and a baby not a true classic but it was nice seeing men take responsibility for an infant Uh, quote great kid don't get cocky yes i am cherry picking these films from a list spanning a whole decade but that in no way detracts from the fact that these movies are about uh, being a disenfranchised youth in a world that doesn't care for you standing up for yourself and what you believe in, or learning that stepping outside the box doesn't have to hurt, all themes shared with Star Wars. I don't think he likes you at all. Beep. No, I don't like you either. There were a lot of films made after Star Wars that were just drivel, but how can you blame Lucas and Company rather than the other junk films from 77? Do you expect me to believe Star Wars may just want dumb films more than Saturday Night Fever, Smokey and the Bandit? Oh, the fucking
3: oh. phone! Smokey and the Bandit's a classic!
0: Or Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo? I hate Smokey and the Bandit. Fuck you, too! <laughs> 1977 was an amazing year in the cinema for the good. Disney's The Rescuers with the vocal love of Eva Gabor. The Bad, ABBA, the movie. Seriously, who signed <laughs> off on that? Alright, alright, that's fair. And The Strange, Close Encounters of the Third Kind.
3: Wh- what the fuck?
0: I don't think he's dissing, I think he's just saying it's... An odd tale compared to the other. It is an
3: odd tale, but it's a great movie. It I don't is. think it's saying
0: it's not. It's a
3: classic. All right, all right, all right, all right.
0: An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. In closing, I don't blame Star Wars for making movies better or worse any more than I blame the bad news bears and breaking training. Uh, you make a good film or a trash film for your own reasons. Blaming a predecessor is lazy and irresponsible. Ooh, I didn't damn. blame Star Wars for The Phantom Menace, and I won't be crediting it for The Force Awakens. Filled with nerd rage and coffee, Robert.
3: Thank you, Robert. That was a beautiful email. It was very smart. Yeah, we it, appreciate that I think, a lot. Uh, I, I think Schindler's List was a weird pick for, like, greatest film. I mean, it's a good movie, but... It's well-written prose, Robert, but I think you should listen to what I said. And uh, <laughs> Oh, damn!
1: Bullshit! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Is <laughs> it
2: real? I mean, I'm just saying, what I said was that we were making a spate of films that we were being dominated by mature... Grown up stories about mature grown up issues. I would like to point out also that the movies that you listed, Three Men and a Baby, Sixteen Candles, are neither of those things.
3: Sixteen Candles is
2: racist. It's racist, but not that I mean, there's seventies movies, that are and, and, racist. and not, that there's, not that there's nothing wrong with ra- wrestling with teenage issues. But that's the best we got. We got Sixteen Candles. We got Teen Wolf. We got a whole spate of this sort of Breakfast Clubby sort of Wait. John Hughes stuff going on. Did he mention Teen Wolf in there? No, no he I, better I, not. I, have... no, I'm just I'm just doing what I'm doing. Okay, I spaced point. out for a second. But but, but what I want to say, Robert, is you're not. You're not responding to what I said at all. What I said was is that there were, many, there were many more films being made at medium budgets that were about grown-up tales, about grown-up stories, wrestling with grown-up issues. And then Star Wars happened, and then they stopped happening. And no film you listed is an exemption from exactly what I'm talking about. That is the point that I was trying to make, is that what happened is Hollywood figured out a way to make a lot of money. Star Wars is not terrible. I love Star Wars. I, too, have a Wikipedia account, sir. And I think it's a wonderful thing. I don't want to be in a world that Star Wars doesn't exist in. What I wish, though, is that Hollywood... Did not do this sort of paint by numbers um, sort of methodology by which they sell their films.
3: I would agree with Robert to a certain extent that I, I think it might be foolhardy and a little hyperbolic. And I pointed—I think I pointed this out—we were talking, Dustin. I think it's hard to blame everything on one thing. Sure, but it is the moment that began the moment. It, it is—you you cannot pretend it's—it's it's not worth pointing out as an important moment in that happening. And again, while I probably would agree with Robert a little bit more than I would with Dustin you would also be hard-pressed to convince me that the 80s were a better decade for film than the 70s because they fucking were not. Absolutely not. The 80s are a bad decade in film. Ghostbusters
2: is not a mature human story. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. I love Ghostbusters.
3: Smoking the Bandit's a great movie. It's not a mature human story either.
2: Absolutely. And and the, the example from the 70s, were there tripe movies being made in the 70s? Absolutely. They weren't making tons of money, but they were making... Kansas
3: City Roller. But what I would give to
2: be in a world in which we have Herbie and the Love Bug right up against something like Saturday Night Fever, right up against something like Drugstore Cow or Midnight Cowboy. Excuse me, Midnight Cowboy. My decades are way off at that point, right? Midnight Cowboy against Raging Bull. You know that sort of Raging
3: Bull's nineteen eighty. It's
2: nineteen eighty, but it's close enough. It's close. The point I'm trying to make.
3: Godfather.
2: The Godfather. Mean Streets. You're making those movies. You're also making, you know, again, fun movies, you know, you're also Smoking and the Bandits. Smoking the Bandit. Planet of the Apes. was a sixty eight, but it's close enough. The point is that's all going on in that period. And we, we, we give too much periodization to decades themselves. That's a whole thing. There's I a don't lot know, of bleed over. I don't want to get into that. But that being said, those kind of movies are all being made, and then overwhelmingly the films being made are these massive budget, either massively budgeted sort of big actor name sort of films or these massive uh, special effects films, and it dumbs down Hollywood overall. And I would say the 80s was a much dumber decade
3: Mm -hmm. by far than the 70s. Rocky 1 versus Rocky 4. I rest Uh, my case, Your Honor. (laughs) Sorry. Well done. Robert, I cannot tell you how much we appreciate that.
0: uh, That is why we do this. We enjoy the discussion. That's what this is all about.
3: Thanks thanks for coming in, and that's that's why conversation is
2: important, because we can clarify points. And we would
0: also love to hear Robert's rebuttal.
2: Yes, go right ahead, so sir. So
0: please, we enjoy this kind of interaction with our, our the
2: listeners. The
3: next 12 episodes are just a back <laughs> and forth between Robert and Dustin.
1: Well, Star
2: Wars is going to go at least nine episodes, so why not? Oh, and yeah. The next thing you know, tie
1: email about Force Awakens. Done.
0: So thank you for that, Robert. You could also... Uh, like I said, you can email us goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Google+. Plus. We've had some uh, plus ones and comments over there, so we greatly appreciate all that interaction, and thank you so much for that attention that you give to us. We greatly appreciate it. And that's what we have coming in from my side of the social media.
3: Dalton Stewart, do you have anything else about social media? Dustin, now comes the part where I relieve you, Arthur, and Caleb, the little people of the burden of your failed and useless lives. But as my plastic surgeon always said, if you got to go... Go with the tweet, oh my ladies and gentlemen. You can find the good trash genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Uh, not a lot of feedback coming in this week, although Brigham Cole rose to the challenge of finding a plot summary for Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope that doesn't totally suck and makes sense if you haven't seen the movie in less than 140 characters. Go on, Brigham Cole. <clears throat> A young man sets out on a hero's journey that pits him and a group of insurgents up against the galaxy's most formidable weapon. Whoa. Yeah. That's it. That's Perfect. great. It's fantastic, right?
2: All righty. Well, we need to move right along, dear listener, and it's as I look upon my watch, I realize it's time to play the game.
0: It's time to play the game.
3: Time to play the game. This week's game is our favorite Batman. Uh, That's right. Favorite Batman. Brought to you by Batman. (laughs) I'll tell you what. Bruce Wayne's a way better Batman than Dick Grayson. (laughs) Well, okay. He is. Uh, Well, uh, fair enough. And Nightwing's all right, right? No, I'm talking about when he took over. Is
2: your uh, your favorite Batman's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? My favorite Batman is me. Shut up. No.
3: Um... I'll tell you, who, it's Kurt Conroy, uh, who voiced Batman. Kevin Conroy? Kevin Conroy. I said Kurt. Thank you. What, do you it's, mean old Kevin Conroy? Um, oh, Kevin Conroy? <laughs> it's, it's Kevin Conroy, uh, who voiced Batman in Batman the Animated Series, and still voices him in the DC uh, Animated Universe. He did
1: him uh, most recently in the Arkham series for the video yes. games, yeah. Um,
3: and he's, got, he's the definitive Batman, much like Mark Hamill's the definitive Joker. Correct. Bar none. Period. The people's joker. The, the, okay, listen.
1: No, listen, uh, period. Th- no, no. Here's the thing No one else is in this list of Batman people are actually Batman. Kevin Conroy is freaking Batman. Everyone else is pretending to be Batman. Well, here's, and here's the thing ba- Con- Kevin
3: Conroy introduced was that Bruce Wayne and Batman have different voices. Bruce Wayne speaks differently when he's Batman. He also, And I think he's the one that really started, sorry, Caleb, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think he's the one, in, as far as not in the comics, but in, in media and watched and moving pictures, introduced the idea that Batman's the real face and Bruce Wayne is the mask. And I think that's something that he did very well. I think it's something that Christian Bale did his best to try and bring to the uh, Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, that, that growl's a little silly. I, I think we've all agreed upon that, Uh Since Batman Begins, where are the other jokes going? It's silly. It's silly. But he's trying to do what Kevin Conroy did, which is differentiate who Bruce Wayne is with the mask on and with it off. And I think that's why Kevin Conroy is the definitive Batman. And Mark Hamill is the Joker. Period. It's fantastic. Yes, I love Heath Ledger's performance. I love Jack Nicholson's performance. I'm curious about Jared Leto's performance. I like... uh, what son of a bitch? The guy that played him on uh, the Adam West Caesar Romero. Romero. I knew it was Caesar something. Thank you. I like Caesar Romero's Joker. Uh, man, does Mark Hamill get it? Wow. And I think the, the, the coup de gras. The best time for them to retire was the, the three Batman Arkham Asylum games. Yeah, that's my pick, uh,
1: Caleb. I mean, do, do you disagree? I mean, no, no, there is no other guys, guys. When you read the voice, here's here, here's a good here's a good test. When you read Batman's voice in the comics, who do you hear, or who, what is the closest you hear? Do you hear Christian Bale's? Blah, blah, blah. Do you hear Michael Keaton's Michael Keaton voice? No, uh, no, no, you ha- you hear something along the lines of Kevin Conroy's Batman. It's but, just he for for, and it had to be because uh, he came in at the right time. Harvey,
3: no, <laughs> exactly. Harvey did. Can we trust him?
1: <laughs> but listen. There's a, there's a reason that Kevin Conroy there's no, he when he says that line like the iconic I am vengeance I am the night I am Batman no oh. other actor could say it like uh. that and be like yes. He's the guy.
2: Oh, my gosh, yes. It's uh, perfect. It's yeah. wonderful. I think
3: Christian Bale's good. I, I think Val Kimmer's okay. I think Michael Keaton's really good. Uh, George Clooney's, Clooney's crap. a pretty good Bruce Wayne. He's a great Bruce, Wayne. A Bruce Wayne. George Clooney is Bruce Wayne, though.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing about, about George Clooney. In an alternate universe where he was not directed by Schumacher... In the 90s by some other director, like Martin Scorsese or some other director. There could be a great Batman. Yeah, he could but, be a great Batman.
3: But Kilmer was directed by Schumacher, and I think Kilmer gets a bad rap. I think Kilmer's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Kilmer's my least favorite one. I think he's pretty good. He's all right. Um, you know what? Actually, I think maybe Pete Holmes is my favorite Batman. Mm.
1: Yeah, he's pretty great. Yeah? Yeah. He's also a great Professor X.
3: You guys you guys saw Neighbors, right? Was that this year or last year? It was last year. Last year. You saw Neighbor? Neighbors. But one of my, my one of my favorite things in that entire movie was uh, Seth Rogen and um, High School Musical. Zac Efron talking about who's Batman to them, and they go back and forth doing the Keaton I'm Batman and uh, I'm Batman. It's really funny. Oh, oh, oh how and we... I think this uh, you know Dustin's uh, Dustin's you're, you're Keaton's your Batman. I think Christian Bale's probably our Batman.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think growing I, up, I, yeah,
3: and I, I yeah think, I mean I, I grew up with. Keaton because that was Well him. I really grew up with Kevin Conroy I mean I that's
2: spent sh- I, you know many what? more hours with Kevin Conroy That's
1: probably true for all of us all three of us actually now that I think about it uh, I mean, I'm just gonna you know, I don't get to brag about this very often but I've met Kevin Conroy have pictures nice. with Kevin Conroy Yeah it's a good picture and that's cool. uh, I have autographed Kevin Conroy on my wall That's cool Well that's
3: our game guys I mean Well can I play? <laughs> oh I thought you agreed with Kevin Conroy I, Well no
2: I mean he's a great Batman but I'd like to give some honorable mentions at least Okay go ahead the, yeah, yeah. I mean first of all I'd like to give um, well Frank Miller and. Um, Klaus Johnson's uh, Batman in Dark Knight Returns, just uh, an illustrated Batman. Okay, the big blocky, stocky Batman. All right. I like that Batman a lot. And to keep the Dark Knight Returns theme going right along, Peter Weller's voicing in the yeah. Dark Knight Returns yeah. film. Okay. I mean, I think it's worthy of mention. You know, we've talked about a lot of the actors in the films. We've talked about you know Kevin Conroy's voicing, but playing old Batman, Peter Weller nails it. Absolutely nails old Batman. And I think that's, you know, it's it's worthy of mention.
3: Well, if we're going to talk illustrated Batmans, I, I think uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sayles, uh, Batman from uh, Long Halloween and Dark Victory. Yeah, yeah I, that I like Batman. them too. Yeah, I love them. that Batman. I'm excited to see what Affleck does. I think uh, it'll probably be uh, better than Kilmer and um, Clooney uh, to be determined where he ranks with uh, Conroy and... Uh, I think it will be better than Christian Bale.
1: I think he could be better than Christian Bale.
3: Yeah. And I like Christian Bale as an actor a lot. I really, yeah. really do. I don't want to sell the man short. Um, that voice is silly.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, no other actor out there has the chin for Batman more than Ben Affleck. What a chin. Absolutely. Uh, well,
3: Carl uh, uh, Urban, obviously.
1: Carl Urban's chin is up there.
2: Correct. But moving right along, we've got to conclude the show as we always do with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. The
1: Root! The Root!
2: That's right, dear listener. We're burning it all down with our fired up in about pop culture. Mr. Caleb Masters, are you fired up at all?
1: A um, little bit. A little bit? A L- oh. little, bit. little uh, bit. Lots of movies I'm fired up about. You want to know why? Because I'm podcasting with Arthur Gordon and Dalton Stewart about movies a lot uh, lately. Uh, yeah, so uh, holiday season dropped, and we've done, I did a review with Arthur over the night before, which was a hysterical Christmas comedy. Go check out that episode of the spinoff show. Uh, the. The Good Trash Media spinoff show, Back to the Movies. Also have an, up- an upcoming show discussing and reviewing Creed. Oh, three gentlemen so around this good. table. Very, very excited to talk more about that movie. And I think me and Arthur are going to try and slip in uh, Spotlight here uh, as, as well. So lots of good t- Guys, this is, the, this is the, my favorite time of the year for the movies where all the good prestige films come out. So I'm very excited about it. Very excited to po- podcast about it. And uh, excited to share the conversation with you guys. Uh, and lastly, guys, it's December. You know what that means? Star
3: Wars? Yes!
2: <laughs> not yes. Christmas. We've got not two Christmas. more weeks
3: to be excited about it. Two more weeks and then we're
1: never excited about Star Wars ever again.
3: Not, not correct. Not correct. <laughs> i got two more weeks to like be bound into a ball of tension hoping it's not Phantom Menace all over again. I'm so scared. I am I'm so excited, but every once in a while the fear creeps in. And you know what fear leads to?
1: <laughs> it does. <laughs> It does. Does anyone else get kind of worried that we're going to get burned out on the hype before the movie gets here? Because that yes. happens a lot. Like, I'm, already, I'm starting to get there pretty seriously. There's like, no way. It can't happen. Well, you know, like, we get it so hyped about happen. it, and then, like, a week before, you're just like, you know what? Just get out already. I'm just, I'm, t- I'm over this. Mr. Donald Story, you fired up this week. Uh, yeah,
3: I mean, I, not really, but uh, I'm with Caleb. I watched a shitload of movies last week. I saw Brooklyn. Fantastic. Love it. Was really surprised. I didn't really have much interest in it, and absolutely floored me. I, adored it. Creed was fantastic. Uh, I can't wait to talk with uh, Caleb and Arthur about it more on Back to the Movies. Spotlight also loved it a lot. Uh, Great performances. Love seeing Mark Ruffalo play against type. Um, Really a powerful film, uh, as Caleb has mentioned, that reminds us how important journalism is uh, and reminds the world. uh, Just because we uncovered the abuses of the Catholic Church um, in 2002 doesn't mean we should stop talking about it, because they they have still more pins to do, to use their own language. Um, Lastly, um, December 4th, uh, which is this coming Friday, by the time you're hearing this, Spike Lee's Shy Rack will be in um, limited release shortly. They're followed by a release on Amazon. Great trailer. Um, We're talking Golden Age, Do the Right Thing Spike Lee is what this looks like. I am beyond excited. Um... I uh, I made my I forced my girlfriend to watch the trailer earlier today. In fact, uh, and she made fun of me because I cried uh, during the trailer. Uh, she does that a lot. She makes fun of me for crying during trailers because uh, it's a thing I do. It's it's real shit, guys. But you deserve I, to be made fun of. I, I ah, look so good. Um, and vaguely related, uh, I've talked I've talked about uh, Denzel Washington as the greatest actor of all time. Period on the show before the podcast with W. Kamau Bell and Kevin Avery. Recently, did an interview episode with Spike Lee. Um, so you got to hear uh, very nearly from the horse's mouth. Um, so they, they still haven't gotten Denzel, but they got Spike Lee, which is the next best thing to get in Denzel on a podcast about how great an actor Denzel is. So uh, that's what I'm fired up about this week, guys.
2: Excellent, excellent. I'm fired up about a single thing. Um, the Hollywood Reporter um, does uh, r- frequent rankings of most powerful people in Hollywood. They have recently, in the last 10 years, begun doing a most powerful women in Hollywood ranking. Uh, top 100 most powerful women, actors, actresses, directors, producers, etc. And they have made the decision because there are so few women working in Hollywood and it's become so cutthroat, uh, there's, it's become so competitive that they are no longer ranking the women. They're just going to list 100 powerful women when, in no particular order. And I don't know if I'm excited about that or if I'm vaguely frustrated about that. I mean, I, I understand this whole idea that, you know, the, 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 it creates this economy of scarcity. Mm-hmm. There's only so many opportunities for women, and you just sort of clamor for your place. Mm-hmm. And... um that's what sort of it's thing. hard enough
3: to, to be a working actress in Hollywood or a working female director or a working female producer. Why make it harder by making it seem like it's competition? Right. Well, but but the the, but, but, but the, the presumption there being is it's fucking easy. Uh, but uh, but but dudes can handle the competition. Am I right?
1: Uh, yeah, I know. Right. That's, well, that's yeah. What was I going to say? Okay, if you make if you, if you if you if you follow that logic through, the same would apply for men because it's even theoretically more competitive for men. No, it's just,
3: it's easier though because they're men. I the, I get the logic. The, the logic is I, I totally understand it because it is easier to be a man in Hollywood. Absolutely, it is one hundred percent easier. But also, I, I feel like there is the implication of, but you know, if I can do gonna handle it. Am I right? Which is stupid. Yeah, uh, maybe we should just rank the most powerful people in Hollywood yeah. and make sure we get some fucking women on the list. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Why, why do we have to? Why do we have Because, to because have I'm telling you right
3: now, Megan Ellison is one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Fair point. But I, I guess Ava DuVernay. There, there
1: would be less women on,
2: on the list. is what it would, there would, it would be a list overwhelmed by men. Yeah, because a bunch uh, of fucking dudes made it. Be, but, I, I, it, you know, it was, it was a female editor at The Hollywood Reporter.
3: Okay, that didn't no. know. Just editor, it's your job. Make sure the douchebags
1: are right for you. Make an evenly gendered list. Kathy Kennedy, most important, per, uh, powerful person in Hollywood this year. Just saying, yeah, I I
3: agree, Dustin. It's it's like it, I don't know how I feel about it. It's it seems like they want it to be a step in the right direction, but uh, maybe it's not. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I, I don't either. It's confusing. It fires me up, but it's in a weird way. I'm, I'm like my 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 fire flames are in like question marks. Yeah, I
3: I'd got to read the editorial myself and and hear what they have to say about it. But I definitely would like to hear what the listener has to say about it. But you know what? I would like to hear what the listener has to say about Batman. and I would like
2: to hear what the listener has to say about next week's film and our you don't know Jack marathon, which is you can't handle the truth, dear listener. It's A Few Good Men.
0: You ever served in an infantry unit, son? No, sir. Ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Ever put your life in another man's hands, ask him to put his life in yours? No, sir. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear? Kristen. All those having business with this general court martial, stand forward and you shall be heard. The facts of the case are these. On midnight of September six, the accused entered the barracks room of their platoon mate. They woke him up. Tied his arms and legs with tape, forced a rag
2: into his throat. A few minutes later, a chemical reaction caused his lungs to begin bleeding. He drowned in his own blood and was pronounced dead at 37 minutes past midnight. Do you think Santiago was murdered? Private Santiago is dead, and that is a tragedy.
3: But he is dead because he had no code. He is dead because he had no honor. And God was watching. How do you feel about that theory? sounds good to me i'll knock it all down to involuntary manslaughter no deal we're going to court no you're not why not
0: because you'll lose you want to investigate me roll the dice and take your chances i eat breakfast 300 yards from 4,000 cubans who were trained to kill me so don't think for one second you can come down here flash a badge
3: and make me nervous Follow orders or people die. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the
0: truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it?
1: You! But if this case is handled in the same fast-food, slick-ass, Persian-bizarre manner, with which you seem to handle everything else, then something's going to get missed. In the heart of the nation's capital, in a courthouse of the United States government, one man will stop at nothing to keep his honor. And one will stop
0: at nothing to find the truth.
2: Get ready, dear listener, for a walk and talk and good time as we look at the Aaron Sorkin scripted A Few Good Men. We're so excited to be talking about that, to be talking about movies, because that's what makes watching the movies so worthwhile. Watch a movie with somebody and have a conversation. And until then, we'll see you next time.